This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. From Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad Street, Truman Jones is on News Radio WGNS. Good morning, Rutherford County. Got a really great show on. Uh, I have a gentleman is is he he fascinates me. Uh, a lot of people know him as JD. In fact, um, I really never knew your name. Uh, for a long, long time, JD, because that's right. all anybody ever calls sure. you. Sure. But uh, you're one of the more fascinating people I've ever met, and uh, you have a, a lot of talents. Um, you, um, I, I think that weren't they trying to get a hold of you so that maybe you might be the next prime minister of Russia? <laughs> it, the, the 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 Putin uh, 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 person who steps in maybe an ambassador <laughs> had a lot of friends over there. Yeah, and and you've done so many things, and and a lot of them are are just what most of us would like to dream. Each one of us uh, that that that. Uh, that know you. I mean, uh, having sitting down and having a conversation with you, especially now over the radio, we can share some of it. But give me a little background for everybody. And uh, of course, this is Jim Deck, James Deck, uh, and that's where the JD comes from. And uh, from now on, I'm still going to call you JD. That'll is that work. Okay. That'll work. All right. Now. Uh, Tell me about all the things as far as going to the academy and you growing up and getting to the place where we're going to be talking about uh, afterwards with the flying the C-130s and in Vietnam and places like that. Okay. I started off and born in a little town in southeastern Iowa, moved to the central Iowa too, then up to a resort area in northwest Iowa called Spirit Lake, but, mm-hmm. which all surrounded by corn, but we had all tourists, uh, 30 lakes in the county. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, uh, that could be a whole story in itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was in high school, I was a major miler, uh, invited to the Drake Relays, the Invitational Mile, mm-hmm. uh, did a lot of speaking. Uh, when I was eight years old, I gave a speech, and one of the thespians in town sent me a card and said, you've learned the three great things about speaking. Stand up so you can be seen. Speak up so you can be heard. Sit down so you can be appreciated. <laughs> a um, lot of people miss out on that last one. They miss the last yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. On an aside on that one, I left it there. Well, first of all, let's say I'm getting to the academy. The academy was brand new. West Point, Annapolis, you got a primary or an alternate. Mm-hmm. Where if you passed, you're in. If you failed, the alternate goes. Ours was totally different because it was new. Each congressman, senator, and governor could test as many people as they wanted to get down to 10. Well, mine tested 100 to get down to 10. Mm-hmm. So then finally 100 of us get into the room from these thousands, and they picked seven. And I looked around the room and I said, I am toast. There's no way I can hear these guys think. But they were looking at the rounded citizen, too, mm-hmm. where I had done all the plays and run track and all, had done a little bit of everything. Yeah. We used to say we we're so well-rounded we had no foundation. <laughs> it's kind of true. But get out to the academy, and I had gone to school two hours early for two years to learn math. had a teacher that was a getting me ready yeah i get out there and in the first semester we went through seven different courses of math in one class and i was befuddled i thought i was going to go to mit or caltech and went 
there are people a lot smarter than me, but they they taught us to be well-rounded. Yeah. First they break you down, take care of the mother's apron strings, and then they teach you. And uh, like my uh, granddaughter is saying, she's uh, overworked and she's going to have 17 hours in class. Uh, we were averaging 25 uh, semester hours in class mm. year-round. Yeah. Uh, very, very stringent and very, very, very controlled because they didn't want us to become military people at a military school. Like I never did get a major. I tried to get international law, uh, political science, what anything that related to international relations, they'd cancel it or wow. change it or whatever. So they, uh, Princeton and Purdue and whatever, were controlling what we did. Hmm. Uh, so I graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree, uh, but I did stress anything to do with Russia while I was there. What was the fascination about that? We were at war with Russia. Okay. And then when I got in there and they said, you can pick a language between four languages, one of which was Russian, the other were obvious, Spanish, German, and French, I think. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, everybody here has taken one of those three languages. I'll be a fool trying to compete with them. Plus, I had taken two years of Latin, and Latin had five cases. And in Russia, they just took one and divided. There were six cases. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was a lot of similarities to it. But I went much deeper than the language, and I got very fluent in the language. We went for two years in Russian and never spoke a word in English. Like wow. the first day of class, we walked in, and Lieutenant Suzdilev, who was raised Russian, mm-hmm. saluted, and he said, Sadich. We sat down. Yeah. He came over to me, and he held out a pen, and he said, Kaspidin Kennedy, Stoeta. Stoeta, eta pero. That's a pen, eta stakan, that's a glass. Mm-hmm. Came back around, Kaspidin Kennedy, Stoeta. He expected me to remember. Yeah. But two years we did that, and then two hours a week, was in a laboratory where it was just as fast as you could go in Russian. Mm-hmm. So we were linguistically outstanding. We didn't know a whole lot of uh, reading, mm-hmm. mostly speaking. And uh, th- But then I took uh, literature, art, uh, art of appreciation, uh, international law, anything to do with Russia, and... Uh, got immersed with a lot of them that came to visit the academy and I played with some of them which was not good mm-hmm. but uh, then uh, when we got uh, back here I got involved with the Russians too but we went through the academy and then uh, when we graduated uh, they sent us to pilot training but at that time most of us had to be pilots to be qualified now they don't I think it's only 8% of pilots something like that at the academy they're all and, of course, now the Air Force is split into Space Force, too. So I noticed that, uh, oh, like 30% of our graduates went into the Space Force instead of the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And uh, But we had people who went on to be doctors and whatever. You, uh, when I graduated, we, I went to Selma, Alabama, which is not a good place to go. And I right. thought I saw you down there on television. Yeah, just before the riots. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I was a year before the bridge. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we had to wear a uniform when we went off base. Because if anything happened, they deputized all the white people. And we were federal officers, so they couldn't deputize us. Yeah. So we'd be working on a car in uniform. Oh, wow. Uh, you had to. Uh, and my wife and I went downtown one time to see a movie. There was a, a white main street and two black main streets in Selma. And if you turn right going from the white to the black at the end was the theater and the side door went to the balcony and the front door went to the front and we went down there and there's lights everywhere blue and red and white yeah and what happened was a young man had decided to go through the white door hmm. and they decided to throw him through the white window just before the riot started hmm. so it was ugly while we yeah. were there and i came from iowa we didn't know what the world was going on you know uh, we didn't know what the Civil War was about. We were kind of cushioned up there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you open your eyes real quick. Finished pilot training, and I got the last C-130 
out of pilot, we got to pick by order of merit. So the top guys got the fighters, and then it worked its way down. And I got the you last were, you C-130. Were ble- you were blessed to get a C-130. Barely. Yeah. Barely made it. Uh-huh. And if not, then I'd have been in SAC, which I didn't want to go to the, yeah. the bombers. Yeah. Didn't want to go to the faxes. It turned out that was a pretty good deal, but I didn't want it at the time. And I uh, got to Seward. First, they sent us to Sea uh, Survival. We went out there, and they scared the out of us, saying yeah. that if you catch a fish, if it's ugly, don't eat it because it's poisonous. And uh, they let us float out in a raft by ourselves in a single-man raft, then put us in 20-man ra- raft. And then they'd catch us out of the ocean with the helicopter with the little uh, buoy. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Stead Air Force Base for jungle survival. They chased us all over the mountain, shooting at us and making us. You lived off of wild radishes and onions and things like that. And then they captured you, and you went into POW training. Mm. And you spent uh, like seven different ways they were going to interrogate you. And they said, the only thing we can't replicate is the fear of death, but everything else we can do. And they did. And I had many friends that had nervous breakdowns and, you know, just they failed. And one of the things for humor that uh, one of the things that most of the people broke down on was they shoved you into a box and just kept pushing till you couldn't move. And we had a bag over our head 24-7. I was in there and I could do that. I could rub my nose with one finger. So I put myself to thinking, they don't know I can do this. So I'm getting away with this. So I fixated on being able to do this instead on the pain and suffering that yeah. I was in. Had the ability to build third person, get out on the tree and look back in at what I was going through if it was painful. And then I wasn't there. I was yeah. watching the poor devil that was there. Uh, and then we finished that and uh, uh, go to uh, C-130 training. When I got there, they needed me overseas immediately because a lieutenant's wife was sick. So they pushed me ahead of all the generals and colonels and everything here. I'm a second balloon and rushed me over to Vietnam. Get there, and the first night I'm in bed, they're all having a party. I didn't know anybody. And they woke me up at 2 and said, we're going flying. So I'm fine. I go get in the airplane, and I'm sitting there, and the pilot says, aren't you going to get out your checklist? I said, I don't know why. I said, well, why not? I said, there's nothing over here I can read. I was in a B model where I'd been trained in ease. Mm-hmm. They said, well, fake it. <laughs> and we went over and carried the first casualties out of Vietnam. Oh, wow. First air back out of it. And it was, uh, they did triage where uh, we carried the first 25 that had a chance to live that were hurt the worst. Mm-hmm. And one of them passed away on the way over there. Uh, for humor, uh, we had a doctor who was working. We'd always get up to 5,000 feet, we'd stop ground fire, mm-hmm. and then go out and check and see what the doctors needed. And there was a doctor working on this kid, and there were 25 of them laying out there on their bellies with shiny class rings on, with three wounds, shrapnel, burns, and broken bones. Mm-hmm. And this doctor was working on the kid, and I went up to him and I said, Doctor? Yeah. I said, you feel fairly safe up here? He said, yeah. I said, then take off that blankety-blank pistol. He had a forty-five, but it wasn't hooked to his belt. So every yeah. time he'd been, that thing was slapping that kid in the head with a forty-five. <laughs> so there was, wasn't just me going through shock. Everybody was going through shock. But during the course of uh, the time over there, uh, we did everything. If you can name it, I flew it. If you can name it, I carried it. Uh, Puff the Magic Dragon. Yeah, Puff. We got to see Puff. Uh, Puff was brand new at that time. It was yeah. a little C-47. But they let us watch where it destroyed a town by itself. Mm. And I just missed being able to get into the AC-130s. Yeah. That came right after me. But uh, I got to see my stuff. Uh, one of the things, uh, I don't know how much time we have and where you want to go with we this. Got, we got plenty of time, and we'll go wherever you want to go. Okay, I'm just wandering then. Yeah. Uh, like I told you earlier, they just had an 80th birthday for me, so we went through all of this stuff. And so I've been down the Reminiscent Trail. 
but uh, one of the funnier things, sad things, uh, was I got called back from. Well, first of all, when we when we'd go two months in country and come, but we're stationed in the Philippines. And then we'd yeah. come home two months, two months, two months. And in the middle of the one of the two months, we had the Santa Domingo crisis. Mm-hmm. People don't even know we had a Santa Domingo crisis, and it was one of the biggest airlifts ever. Yeah. That the uh, 124s were solid below me, 130s, and then 141s. And the radio silence all the way down there. We're going to save the people in Santa Domingo. And half of us had paratroopers, which you're fully aware of that. Yeah. And half of us had ground troops. And in the middle of the ocean, they said everybody with paratroopers moved back. We don't know who's got paratroopers. So you'd have airplanes pull up beside you mm-hmm. and go like this or like this. And you'd go, or whichever. And then they'd go back if they had paratroopers. So, yeah. so what they did is they sent all the paratroopers who were supposedly were going in first. Mm-hmm. They sent those to Puerto Rico. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. But I know we didn't own anything over there, and it was re- ugly. Yeah. So we went in and air-landed uh, with the walking troops, and the first airplane popped a, a hood, uh, and a pilot got up there, and he became the tower and directed traffic until the Army could go take over the tower. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we did that for like 10 days. We couldn't tell anybody where we were. Oh, it was the ugliest, uh, uglier than Vietnam in many cases. weren't getting shot at so much, but uh, we weren't getting any sleep. Yeah. A lot of times I'd wake up and be the only one on the airplane awake. Everybody hanging in straps and we're going across the ocean. One of the times they'd send us out and said, go to such and such a frequency, and they wouldn't talk to us. We tried to get back. They wouldn't talk to us. took us forever to figure out what happened. They launched us right through the middle of a Canaveral launch. Wow. So... Nobody could dock. Yeah. And uh, no airliners could come in where we were and whatever. Uh, so it was quite an experience. Now, you were in the Philippines when you would fly into Vietnam. The, when we were doing the two months on, two months off, yeah. we were in the Philippines, right. Clark Air Force Base. Right. When we went for the long tour, we were stationed, our bags were stationed in Taiwan, CCK, Taiwan. Yeah. Which is a little field, well, a little town, but a humongous field in the central part of Taiwan. They had like a 12,000-foot runway, which we didn't need. We could land 12 times on that. Yeah. But it had been a sack base, and they'd moved them on over, so they put us there. And uh, with our wonderful president we had at the time, <clears throat> he didn't want it to look like we were had a massive move into Vietnam. So we're stationed in Taiwan. Many other people were stationed in Okinawa and whatever. And we'd go fly in country for 28 days a month. Mm-hmm. Two days a month, we had to go someplace. Yeah. Thailand, Japan, Taiwan, whatever. And it didn't count as a Vietnam tour. We weren't there. We were TDY. We didn't know that we were TDY. We thought it was the real. You didn't deal. know you was getting messed over at the no, time. No, did didn't know. Well... What I did, I was uh, still from Iowa at that time. I'd go home and all the farmers would gather around me and they'd say, how are we doing? Mm-hmm. And I developed an answer that befuddled them. I said, if you can tell me what one thing, if gained, is victory, I can tell you how we're doing. Otherwise, I don't have a notion. Yeah. I said, I know what I'm doing and I'm proud of it, but I don't know what we're doing. Uh, I don't know what the goal is. I said, uh, the only way I think we can win Vietnam right now is to pave it. Yeah. We're to kill all the rice, kill all the water buffalo, and make them go someplace else. But you can't win it. And, of course, we didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah one of how, the, how did you guys feel about the leadership? Of course, we had Johnson in there at, yeah, at yeah. the time, for President Johnson. Yeah. And it, it, it seemed like a lot of things didn't make any sense militarily as far as what was happening at that time. He and his buddies used us like pawns. Mm-hmm. One of the classic examples is in the heat of, and we were really catching hell. Uh, well, a typical day, you'd take off and you'd go to 10 to 20 different bases. 
we didn't own the ground a mile off the end of the runway. Mm-hmm. So we'd be one mile in the air, one mile after touchdown, and if you dropped the nose, you'd miss the whole runway. We had to pull up the nose, pull the power back, and fall, basically a stall, and then bad power to land. And we're doing this every day, and then one day the, our president decided we needed to prove that we could do night cargo. Well, there's no instruments over there. I think there was three VFRs. Over there. Yeah. So they picked out A, B, C, and D, four towns, for us to move cargo, cargo at night. Well, we're smart enough to mark the cargo. Nobody ever used that cargo. Same cargo we went from A to B, the next night went from B to C, went to C to D, and back. And it never was used. It was just we were pawns out there getting shot at at night for nothing. And you ask what I thought of the president. I can't say it on the air. But he tried every way in the way to kill us without knowing he was doing that. That's unbelievable. What about Westmoreland? Did you did you guys? I got to meet in Westmoreland. Uh-huh. Uh, in the middle of the, well, first of all, we the, the one place I went into that got, the first time the Bitcoin attacked one of our bases, killed his aide. And, a whole, and that's where the kids came that I told you about were laid out. Yeah. They were running. And so a couple of nights later, I got assigned to carry the electronics into this same little base mm-hmm. for perimeter lighting. And another airplane was bringing the poles. So when we went in there, it was hot. And I had to turn all the lights off on the airplane, mm-hmm. all the lights off on the base, and the little tar pits, tar things that you used to see around the highways, mm-hmm. little black canister. Yeah. That's what we landed on on a rough runway, a hell of a landing. They had to come lead us by the hand where you could walk down. You had to go with them. Either side, you'd fall in the ditch. And on the doors, had canvas with a pinhole in it. So you'd look at the light, you'd walk to the light. Mm-hmm. So I get there, get my crew there, and I said, I got to see the highest-ranking person on the post. Okay, so they take me a long ways down to this building, and you could see a glimmer of light clear in the back. I said, go down there. We are not going with you. I said, okay. So I get down there, and the closer I got, the more stars I saw. And Westmoreland was sitting there with all of his crew. And being a smartass, I said, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> And what? And I said, we were supposed to bring your perimeter lighting. Yes. I said, well, I brought my hat. But the other plane isn't here. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I want to thank you for what you brought. Yeah. And he didn't chew my ass out, which I thought he would. Uh, so he was right there. He was amongst us. Yeah. Uh, and we were amongst it. He, he, he didn't receive many accolades no. for being general no. over there. No, no. And I, I presume a lot of that was simply because he was being controlled from Washington. Yeah, Westmoreland, Rumsfeld, and Johnson. Yeah, and, and it's my understanding that a lot of things um, were had a negative impact on some of the things that we were doing there because yeah. the, um, basically they tied our hands. Yeah, well, a little thing. People don't know this. The, they told everybody back here about the Ho Chi Minh Trail. We all heard about that. Mm-hmm. We couldn't stop the traffic. The bull, <clears throat> at in, non-classified, at any instant in time, we could tell you where every truck was on the Ho Chi Minh Trail and how long the engine had been shut off wow. from our heat-seeking yeah. stuff. Plus, I had friends that walked the Ho Chi Minh Trail behind those trucks, mm-hmm. and they were talking to a boat out in the harbor, who was talking to Washington or whoever wanted to hear it. We knew everything about the Ho Chi Minh Trail. We just weren't allowed to hit it. And, and did were you ever told why you couldn't do it? No. Isn't that amazing? No. It, 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 that was probably... All wars have some political uh, things that are involved in it. But Vietnam was probably... And, and Korea in some ways. Well, Korea was ugly. Yeah. Ugly. I wasn't there, but it was ugly. Yeah. Well, things that people didn't know back here, 
I flew a lot of missions outside of Vietnam. Hmm. And we called it going over the fence. And, of course, as they asked me at uh, my birthday party, what does that mean? I said, well, we were either in Cambodia, Laos, or North Vietnam. And I said, by the way, we had a hell of a lot of troops in Cambodia and Laos. Yeah. But I was in there many days flying a command post Mm -hmm. where uh, we were directing the traffic. And we had a little fella from the country that, like, when we'd go to get a breakfast in the morning, he'd go with us. The guy in front, they'd charge him, and they'd charge me. They wouldn't speak to the little fella. Hmm. But he'd get his meal for free. Yeah. we get up there flying, and somebody would call in and said, request permission to hit such and such a target. And the little fella would look at his map, which was all political. Mm-hmm. And he'd go this way or this way. And uh, either hit it or you don't hit it. If we got a little time. Yeah, we got a caller on the line. You, you fascinated somebody else Go ahead. besides me. Go ahead. All right, caller, welcome aboard with JD. Yeah, y'all were talking about the C one thirty. I yeah. worked at Avco. We made the whole tail section for that plane down there. I worked on the horizontal stabilizer. And you talking about the politics? They took the C one thirty from Nashville to Kentucky and give them to the air guard up there. And uh, we don't make them down there anymore. The country of India said we'll buy 200 of them, but we want to build them. So Lockheed boxed them up and sent them over there because the Air Force wasn't buying any more of them. And I was out at uh, Great Falls, Montana, two years ago, and there said about 10 of them on the tarmac. They fly them up there, the air guard does yeah. That about brought tears to my eyes knowing I'd worked on some of them probably. Yeah, it was a good program for Nashville down there. Yeah, it was. I'll hang up and listen. As a as a heck of a plane boy. Yeah. He, he our, uh, you couldn't hear one of the curses of C one thirty is you come out deaf. <laughs> <laughs> well one of the things he he was bragging on the C one thirty. Okay. And and how they had taken them out of here and yeah. and moved them out and uh, to Puerto Rico. I, 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 yeah, I think it's one of the best planes ever built. I really do, as far as what you had to be able to do with it. And what's it? What you they, got on your? They built it when I was 16 years old. Yeah, and it's still in production. Well, it hadn't been been they, around long if if it, they built it when you were 16. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a break, and we'll be right back with JD. From Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad Street, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5-101.9, AM 1450, and streaming online at WGNSRadio.com. It's a slick pig barbecue, spicy wings and Brunswick stew, everything made fresh for you at the slick pig barbecue. There's lean smoked turkey and chicken too. Ribs so tender don't need to chew. Well, come on, folks, I'm telling you, it's Slick Pig Barbecue. In 1920 East Main, you're going to love the pig. The Slick Pig Barbecue, a Murfreesboro tradition. Generation 4 Creations Grandparents Day is coming up, and it's time to nominate your favorite grandparent who is a performing or visual artist. Also, register your child grades K-12 through for the talent contest. Tickets for the online event September 12th at 4 p.m. are available free for grandparents, seniors, and students. Check out Generation 4 Creation at gfckidz.org to nominate a grandparent to register a child or sponsor. That's gfckidz.org. Hey, fellas, I want to encourage you to take care of your health. It's easier than you think at Low T Center. They're reinventing the doctor's visit, making it quick and easy to get all your levels checked, not just your testosterone levels. They offer a comprehensive health assessment so you know all the numbers important to your health. 
If you've been tired, grumpy, have lack of motivation and drive, or if you've noticed weight gain or loss of muscle mass, those could all be signs of low testosterone levels, low thyroid, or even sleep apnea. Low T Center will help you determine the cause of your symptoms and will help you get back to feeling your best. It all starts with their quick and easy health assessment and is covered by most health insurance. Low T Center is concierge medicine exclusively for men, and now they offer monitored self-inject at-home testosterone treatments, providing convenience and additional health monitoring measures for your safety, including a take-home blood pressure monitoring cuff. Self-injected home treatments are just $135 a month for self-pay or covered by most health insurance. Schedule your health assessment now at LowTCenter.com. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. MTSU College of Liberal Arts, together with Ascend Federal Credit Union, presents MTSU Arts, your ticket to hundreds of visual and performing arts events held on MTSU campus each year. Become a member of the MTSU Arts Patron Society for the 2019-2020 season and enjoy member-only benefits, including special events, exhibits, and performances. Visit mtsuarts.com to learn more and join today. Hey, Bargain Hunters, listen up. This is Rodney French from French's Shoes and Boots. If bargain prizes is what you want, come to French's and shop our everyday bargain racks. These shoes and boots are out of the boxes and are always 50 to 90% off the regular retail prices. Shoe brands like Colhan, Joseph Seibel, Clarks, Nike, and more. Boot brands like Justin, Ariat, Corral, Chippewa, Dan Post, and many more. Out of the box, but 50 to 90% off every day. That's French's Shoes and Boots. French's Shoes and Boots. 1837 South Church Street in Murfreesboro. Now an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. A single-engine Piper PA-28 Cherokee went down in a field near the Warren County Memorial Airport Tuesday afternoon. Jerry Weiser, a farmer who lives on Airport Road in McMinnville, was working in the field near where the plane crashed. Well, I was just cutting hay, and I heard a racket. I didn't actually see anything, but I heard the racket when it crashed, and it went down in the field just behind me. Just a few seconds more, the plane would have hit my tractor. So I cut the tractor off and called 911 as I was walking towards the plane. And there were three people inside. We cut the, their seat belts and tried to get them out, but they were pinned in. We just couldn't get them out. And uh, by that time, the first responders got there, and they had, had to cut the door off the plane and top of the roof off the plane, and get, they got them out. The pilot and two passengers died. News Radio WGNS has learned from reliable sources that the Piper landed at Murfreesboro Airport earlier in the day, but the aircraft was not based here. It was owned by the Lebanon Flying Club, and the two passengers are believed to be from Mount Juliet. Supporters of Rutherford County Area Habitat for Humanity will take to the streets September 19th for the 12th annual Hammer Down for Habitat Motorcycle and Car Poker Run to raise money for Habitat's frontline workers build. More than 100 motorcycles and cars start at the Habitat Restore at 850 Mercury Boulevard in Murfreesboro and run a scenic 100-mile route through Middle Tennessee, ending back in Murfreesboro for lunch and entertainment at Hop Springs Beer Park on John Bragg Highway. Proceeds from the event go to the Frontline Workers Build at Habitat's new Legacy Point subdivision in Murfreesboro. When news breaks, we tweet it. Just follow us at WGNS Radio or head over to our website, WGNSRadio.com. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. Now's the time to start teaching good financial habits to your children, and we're here to help. Hi, I'm Nancy with Heritage South Community Credit Union. Our chipmunk and squirrel saver accounts help your child learn how to save and reward them for regular deposits or good grades. Our team cash accounts help your team learn to manage their money wisely and have options to build their credit. To learn more, visit our website, HeritageSouth.org, insured by the NCUA. We'll see mostly sunny skies here this afternoon with a high into the upper 80s. North winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear, low near 69. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 70. Premier Six Theater is open. They're excited to see you again and will be showing some classic movies you'll be sure to enjoy. Check MurfreesboroMovies.com for showtimes for Premier Six Theater. They're now open. 
from Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad Street. It's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming online at WGNSRadio.com. I'm dying to talk to the Russian that we got playing girls basketball. You got to do it. That'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We are back. And uh, before before we get into the story, yodel again for me in Russian. One, two, three, four. Can, 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 have you ever just whatever, maybe you weren't even thinking about it when you were selling properties, did you ever sell a, a, a house by doing that in Russian? You you just reach back and say. Well, it's worse than that. I've, I've got to know a little bit of many languages. Yeah. And the further you get away from it, like, you know, I used to be fluent in Russian. Mm-hmm. But I'll be talking something, all of a sudden I'll be talking Chinese. Yeah. You know, or German. Mandarin? Uh, yeah, man. Really? Will you scotchy ping male sway? I like scotch on the rocks, no water, please. <laughs> you have more fun than anyone. Say something in French for Mentriette. Parlez-vous français, monsieur? Oh, that was easy. Could you go? I used to stay on the Champs-Élysées. And the Hotel Pierre Les Sabines. Yeah. And one time we were there, a bunch of cadets, we were on a summer trip to Europe, mm-hmm. and they put us up in this hotel, and they had us muster, or whatever you want to call it, the Army called muster, down at the lobby, say at 6 in the morning. Mm-hmm. But the officers didn't come that early. So we're all down there standing like idiots, and who comes down and stands like idiots with us? The Red Army Banded Chorus. <laughs> so... They don't know us, Madam's ass, and we don't know them. And so they'd come over, and we'd get a big boy, and we'd yeah. say, "On the Greci football." Yeah. They'd go get a boxer and show a guy with a big arm. So we were having a great time rattling back and forth at each other, and then the officer showed up, and they moved him out of the hotel that day. Yeah. Um, well, you've, you've we're, got we're, uh, you know, uh, MTSU's got a, a Russian lady. Oh yeah, I can't wait to talk to her. Yeah. You, you, you ought to, you ought to go over there. I, I guarantee you, you probably will laugh for two or three hours. Oh yeah, because she's probably need somebody. She need. She to. would. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and for me to talk to her about her country. Yeah. That would really be fun. Yeah. And make her feel more comfortable here, and maybe even where she could call me, you know, once yeah. in a while or something. Yeah, I'd be glad to talk to her. The country you, uh, that you have seen is different than what you thought it would be. Oh, no question. When you were talking about Russia. Yeah, everything was stereotyped. Mm-hmm. You know, the people talked, to, well, like right here, Jim Averett, the old Baptist preacher, good buddy of mine, when he went over there, he talked about he had no trouble looking at his luggage in the airplane because he could see it through the floor. Yeah. You know, everything was junk. When I got over there, I saw progress. Mm-hmm. I saw cranes. I saw new cities underground. or uh, they said there was only one mile of road. Hell, I was going 120 miles an hour from uh, Moscow to Nizhny Novgorod in a uh, staff car, uh, Russian. Uh, yeah, it was much different than what I thought. And, and the Russians evolved quickly. I, I would see them, and then every two years we'd get a different group. Mm-hmm. The first two years they were very country. The last ones were wearing Gucci clothes and had traveled more than I had. Wow. So the, we watched the osmosis of where they didn't know anything to they knew everything. And the old thing uh, we thought about the Russians drinking vodka, mm-hmm. you know, and were useless. And some of them did. But the young ones at the end, they had a thing that they wore that had the cross sign like this, no drinking. Because they realized... That the vodka continued the desperation. Mm-hmm. They had nothing to live for, so they just stayed blitzed, you know, drinking the vodka. Well, now they would sip a little just to say they had some, but they none of them drank. Uh, and very, very smart, very intelligent. You know, it was quite different. And I presume they hated us 
hated you no, no question. When, when you first started. No question. Yeah. And I won them over one at a time by saying I had friends in 1958 at the academy who were Russian, and I won them over by saying the American people and the Russian people have never been at war. Mm-hmm. What? I'd say no, the American government and the Russian government have been at war. Yeah. But I could be friends with a Russian in 1958 in the height of the Cold War. I can be friends with you, mm-hmm. and you can too. And so at the end, the ones that hated me were best friends. The language made the difference, didn't it? You you able to speak the language. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, they never expected us to go back to Russia. We entertained them here. Mm-hmm. So they thought we were all talk, mm-hmm. you know, the ugly American. When I went over there, they were just enthralled that I would come. So they treated me like a king over there. Uh, like that, uh, the one little girl had just remodeled a hotel that was four stories high, 300 years old, and it made it to its grandeur. And it was my hotel while I was there. Wow. So they'd say, uh, don't lock your door. Don't close your suitcase. Leave your window open. Your hotel, where it's your disposal will guard you what time do you want to get up in the morning i said i want to leave at seven okay so at six o'clock the telephone ring good morning and at six thirty knock on the door and one handed come in with a cup of coffee and i get a cup of coffee and the room was unbelievable and uh then at seven uh, there'd be a chauffeured car waiting to take me wherever i was going and we went we saw everything. Now, who were you representing at the time from here? Me. It's just you. Just me. Had yeah. no tie-ins with anybody. Yeah. Uh, now, when the Russians were coming here, I worked with a group that's called CCI, Center for Citizens' Initiatives, out of uh, California. Mm-hmm. And they put these trips together to send the Russians over here to learn real estate. Mm-hmm. Well, I was a realtor, and then the Rotarians were taking care of the housing and the social life, so I was doing both with them. Mm-hmm. And I had them 24 hours a day. Uh, and then in return, when I went over to the day, they showed me everything. And when I'd get to Russia, each one of them, I'd have a host at each different city. Mm-hmm. They'd say, what do you want to see first? And I said, I want to see people working with their hands. Yeah. They said, why is that? I said, they don't know your country. He said, what do you want to see second? And I said, art or architecture? You entertain yourself with that because they're both beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I want to see the people. Yeah. And I, I, and they would turn me loose at factories and whatever and let me wander in and talk to the Russians who, first they were terrified. Yeah. You see an American, but then they once realized I was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they'd show me what they were doing, making pretzels or whatever. Uh, so I, I got to see a lot. One of the places that you went, it, it, when you and I were talking about it, uh, it really fascinated me simply because it's not what I thought it would be. And we're talking about Siberia. Yeah. I, th- I think uh, of it as a place where they send them to punish them. Yeah. Well, the thing is, if you look, Russia's huge. Yeah. Siberia is huge. And the weather makes a big difference. Yeah. Uh, in the winter, we had people from here that I talked to that went to the northern part of Siberia. And they would draw a line from the window on the cabinet, say, 18 inches out. Mm-hmm. And so don't set anything in this place because it'll freeze. Wow. Even though it's triple pane windows. Mm-hmm. Set a glass of water in here, it'd freeze solid. Uh, I wasn't in that situation. It was warmer when I was there. Yeah. And I was in a town, Tumsk. Uh, and this guy was, they said he wasn't the most powerful man in Siberia, but certainly the richest. Mm. And he was probably in his low 20s. Wow. He owned all the casinos in Russia and in some of the surrounding states. This is when they had the big change over in Russia that if you were a big enough boy to say, I own this, you owned it. Yeah. So he said, I own all the casinos. And he did. And uh, I got to stay with him over there. But uh, uh, Tomsk, about 70% of the population were students. They had two universities there, one technical and one scientific. Mm -hmm. And everybody went to school from all over that area that came there. 
By the way, when we had the Russians here, we had girls from Vladivostok that had a longer flight from Vladivostok to Moscow than from Moscow to here. Wow. So they'd been in the airplane a long time before they yeah. came over. But uh, we, we saw every type of person in Russia and had to win them over. Mm-hmm. But every one of them ended up with love to one another. Yeah. Got along great. Now, being in real estate, did you buy any uh, property in Siberia? No, I knew better. <laughs> but uh, like when I was in uh, Tula, they took me out to where a river was, and it was at the edge of town, and they were showing me something else, but they got there. I said, whoa, whoa. I said, this is where you need to develop. This is the greatest piece of land in Russia. You got the river going in the front. You got the rolling hills. You got everything. And I said, why don't you do that? He says, we can't. The government will do that. Yeah. So they, even though they were big shots, they were limited. Uh of course, they could do their own thing, and they'd do fine. Yeah. Like the one guy there uh, in Tomsk, uh, in Siberia, his friend had been a multimillionaire, and the Russians took it away from him. He did something wrong. So he was a partner on little things with my friend. Mm-hmm. And one of the companies that he ran was Graft Incorporated. <laughs> that kind of fits, doesn't it? Yeah, kind yeah. of fit. Yeah. Uh, so I, I saw both sides of it. Well... I, I want to get back to when you were in Vietnam. Okay. And if you had your choice near the end, which aircraft would you select and why? Okay. Uh, it so happened that on the way over the last time for the long tour, I befriended a, a former instructor at the academy. It was a major mm-hmm. who was in the, uh, Hawaii. And he told me he was in charge of C-130 reassignments. I said, you're my man. And, of course, I was broken down. So we spent several days together in Hawaii. And uh, so we communicated back and forth. And finally, I'd watched the F-105s be the top fighter. And finally, so many of those people got killed. Uh, like the head of the POW camp was the vice commander of the F-105 squadron until his boss got shot down. Mm. Then that guy became boss. Yeah. Uh, so then they started sending the F-4s, and my friends, a lot of them flew F-4s. So I told him I wanted a front seat F-4. Mm-hmm. So he wrangled around. It took a long time. Finally, he said, you got it. I got you a front seat F-4. When you leave here, you'll go to F-4 school. You'll be back here in 365 days bombing and on. Great. Thank you. That's what I want. I'm tired of being shot at. Yeah. At the same time, a colonel who was from Seward, and he take, took my wife to the hospital more than I did, he had wrangled me the youngest flight instructor seat at Seward because I was taking the people who hadn't flown in years. He'd take them to Clark and teach them how to fly. Well, first they go through C-130 school. Then he'd take them to Clark and show them how to fly what we did. Mm-hmm. And I took them in country. So, in essence, I was an instructor. Yeah. And so, here I am, just pompous, thinking I'm getting an F-4. And the colonel breaks the news to me, you're going to be the youngest instructor in history at Seward. How old were you then? 20, so that'd be 23, 24, 25. Yeah, I I got back here in uh, 27. Just before I was 27. And so here I am. I'm going to do what I want to do, be a fighter pilot, or I stay over every night and fly around the flagpole. What do you tell your wife? You can't say I'd rather go get killed. No, she's thinking that, though. Yeah. So I had to if take... You, if you tell her that. Yeah. So I had to take the, the instructor thing. And it was fun for about... Six classes, and then I was burnt out. I, that's when I got out of the service shortly after that. Did you but, see the, the the movie Top Gun? Oh, yeah. Of course, uh, Admiral Taylor ha- had a, a, a big part of that particular. Yeah. Oh, sure. Uh, and uh, was, was it kind of like something that uh, maybe was accurate as far as how Well, I they thought what they were doing was accurate, sure. Yeah. What I wanted to do. And I had a lot of friends that did that. Would you like? 
I mean, you want to uh, fly a, a fighter plane, but would you want to take off and land from a carrier? We tried it with the Herc. Yeah. Know, and, because they had written on the ground, label, I mean, painted on the ground what the carrier was like. And we couldn't do it without some wind in front of us. Yeah. And, like, recently they said that they've had a carrier take off and landing in a C-130. That's horse crap. Back in the 60s, 50s, uh, C-130A with a marine pilot, empty airplane, landed on the short deck of an aircraft carrier unassisted, Mm -hmm. backed up, and took off unassisted. Now they're talking about it was first time ever, which is horse hockey. Yeah. It had been done before. It was just like in the past year they announced that some guy in uh, Europe someplace had set the record for carrying the number of refugees in the C-130. I broke that record in 1965. We were in a little town that was getting overrun. Mm-hmm. And if you leave them, they're dead. Yeah. So we just opened a ramp and we walked them in. We didn't no seats. Yeah, and they're standing when we're running. And then we filled the ramp and then we close them, compress them, keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And I carried like four hundred and fifty of those little fellas out. Wow! But if I didn't, they're dead. Yeah. Nobody ever heard about that. That was the thing that uh, in the C one thirties, nobody knew what you did unless you told. Them. It, so, it was almost a forgotten aircraft. During that particular yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody used it different. Yeah. Uh, Like, I I never did know whether the ground people knew my call sign or I just was in the right place at the wrong time or whatever. But I did a lot of emergency things because we'd get up in the morning to give us a list of papers. You have to go here, there, here, there, 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 Mm -hmm. all day long. But they didn't care if we altered that. Yeah. So many times, and I didn't know any other pilot that did this, they'd call my call sign and they'd say, can you handle an emergency? Mm-hmm. And one of the fun ones, uh, go over to the fence, which is Cambodia mm-hmm. at that time, and intercept a C-47 coming out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I did that, and I whipped in beside them. And, got, and I had many, many radios, so I could be on the same frequency with them and the ground and whatever. And so I said, can I be of any assistance? They said, yeah. I said, help us get to Saigon. And they had a bunch of VIPs on board this airplane. Mm-hmm. I said, sir, oh, and they were losing an engine. I said, sir, in all fairness, you're not going to Saigon today. You'll be lucky to go anywhere today. Yeah. And they said, well, we don't know any other place. And I said, well, just tuck under my wing, darling, and I'll take you in. So I took him to the nearest field, and I'm talking to the field on a different frequency. Mm-hmm. And the engine's gone. They're down to one. And they keep saying, how are we doing? I, You're doing great. Just wondering. They weren't doing worth a crap because the thing was blowing smoke rings out mm-hmm. of the good engine. Yeah. Finally got him to land, and Tower told me they never made it in to the ramp. Lost the other engine taxiing in. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they had no idea where they were. Now, you've done things that movies could be created sure, off of. Sure, sure, sure. And, and you've, had, you've had, but it, it hadn't been all about, you know, what you've done and everything else. But in a lot of ways it is. But the story that you have, let's see, we probably don't have time for it. But... The one about uh, the young savant. Oh, yeah. The the little fellow that you met. Speed up real quick and then cut me off when you need to. I was visiting with a person that owned an aircraft uh, airline Mm -hmm. in Denver. We were out on a dinner thing, and he had two All-American children and one special child who was probably 12. Mm -hmm. And any time I was around him, he'd be going to understand a word if he said anything. Yeah. The two kids went out to play. The dad went to do what he was doing. The mom went to do what he was doing. Went, and I couldn't find the boy. I could hear noise. So I went down in the basement. He's down there playing the piano with ten fingers. Sounded like Bach and Beethoven having a fit. And he turned and saw me. So I kept working with him, working with him, working, winning him over. And finally he got where he talked to me. Finally he said he wanted to know what I knew. 
mm-hmm. and I went through every math that I knew, and it couldn't top him. I could teach him anything. And I went up to the daddy, and I said, you have a savant, not an idiot. And you don't have to believe a freshman at the academy. And he said, well, what would you do if you were me? And I said, I'd send him to the nearest university that you love, tell him you may have a savant. Do they have a professor who would take him on one-on-one in the closed laboratory? They did. And a couple of months later, the father got a hold of me. And he says, I thought you should know this. And it was a non-traceable call. Mm-hmm. He said, he's at the University of Colorado, locked up in a laboratory with one professor. And they're presently working on the power source for the space race. Mm-hmm. He was that smart. That's amazing. And they'd raised him as an idiot. But they really didn't know any better. They didn't know any better. Well, I had a similar situation here, but we were taught at the academy that IQ is a perfect circle. So a perfect idiot and a perfect uh, genius, neither one can talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. Nobody else is on their frequency. Yeah. So they give up. Like you were mentioning some children that uh, you're closely attached to. Yeah. Uh, They finally create a a friend of theirs that doesn't exist. Mm Mm-hmm. They get into their own life because it's comfortable there. Mm-hmm. But they don't know how to talk to us. They, they can put up with us a little bit, but they're more comfortable getting in their zone. And this kid had found his place. But, like, they bought him a piano tuning kit. Mm-hmm. 12-year-old wouldn't know what the hell that was. He tuned five pianos that day. You know, he had it up here. Yeah. Genius normally comes into mathematics or art. Mm-hmm. His first showed up in art, and then I got, dug it out of him in mathematics. How did he relate to you? Probably you brought him a lot of joy, didn't you? Oh, yeah. He, he wanted me to be blood brothers. Yeah. He didn't want me to leave. Yeah. Because I was his door. But you led him to something where he could be very, very successful. And he he was. And you asked the question earlier, if I followed it, it wasn't my business to follow it. Yeah. What he was doing was top, top secret. Yeah. And uh, Daddy just gave me a glimpse to know I was right. Mm -hmm. But I'd never heard from him again. But I know most of what they were working on was solar power and, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it's amazing, especially in the United States. We have a lot of people would be in the savant uh, category, but uh, it, it, the, the space industry is one of those things. Oh, sure. Because you're dealing with mathematical uh, geniuses that nobody else can even understand. Well, we mentioned earlier the black lady, I think her name was Johnson. Yeah. Uh, she was doing by hand. Our orbits around the sun and landings on Pluto and Jupiter and hard and soft landmark. We were doing that at the academy with slide rules. Hmm. She was doing it in her head. Yeah. And they didn't have a launch without her. The astronauts finally said, we're not going. Yeah. If she did. Well, stop and think. You're here and Pluto's here. You want to go to Pluto. By the time you get there, Pluto isn't here. It's here. And you're not here, you're there. And you went through... Now, wait a minute. If I've got some dog food, Pluto yeah. will be right to me. Yeah. But not only are you shooting at different places and different... You know, you have to yeah. go in 360 degrees, but you're going through different gravitational fields. Yeah. So you leave the Earth's gravitational, then you pick up on the moons or the suns or whatever. So the math is something else. It makes you wonder, though, is it a gift or a curse? I I think it's a gift. Yeah. Yeah, I hope it is. Yeah. The curse was they were locked inside. Yeah. But they have to have somebody bring it out. Somebody's got to open the door for them. Yeah. Now, they're fully willing to come out of the door after they trust you. Mm -hmm. But in that interim, they don't trust anybody. Yeah. And you can understand why. Oh, yeah. They're, they're in a comfort spot. Yeah. Oh, and you're threatening that. Yeah. But once you became a friend, and more than that, you became a, a 
a venue for them to get where they wanted to go. They didn't know they did. Mm-hmm. But once they saw what they could do, they were like a suction cup. And, and you've never had any contact, written, oral, anything? No, the only contact I had was a couple months later when that daddy called me and said, you were right. Said she's at the lab at the University of Colorado, and she's working on a top-secret program for our space and realized in the 50s that's pretty new yeah i'm proud of you jd <laughs> oh i've been blessed you have been blessed you, yeah you, you have uh god gave you a lot of talent and you've passed them on and and, yeah. and that's the real blessing. well i love people yeah i know you do yeah you're gonna be back on my show again aren't you just whenever you like okay can't wait. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, we've run out of time. Well, nice. Anybody you want to say bye or hi to? No, just thank you very much. Appreciate right. it. Yeah, thank you, J.D. All right, guys, we'll see you in the morning at 9. From Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad Street, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming online at WGNSradio.com. 